how do we represent God in this world? In this world that's, that's full of changes and, and all kinds of things are happening, um, how are we supposed to change? And are we supposed to change? And we know that we're called as believers to be salt and light, to make a difference in the world. And so we think, in the last couple Wednesday nights, we've been talking about, okay, how do we do that? What are effective ways that we can do that? And as we've said, there are certain things that you cannot change. We cannot change the truth of God's Word and, and should have no desire to do that. But there are, there are certain things that are touchable. There are certain things that you can change. God doesn't say um, what time to meet at services and so on. But we live in a world that, that is changing and we think, okay, to be most effective for Christ, what should I be? What should I do? Um, what opportunities do I have? And there are many, many opportunities that, that come up to us. And, and we, need to, we need to be wise to capitalize on these. And today, we're going to look at two aspects of, um, to help us. What are we truly saying? What is my life truly saying? As I go out from here as a Christian, what, am I, what is the message that I am getting across? Hey, you have a Snickers bar right there, huh? You like Snickers? Why do you like Snickers? The crunchy nuts. Hey, I love Snickers too. We ought to maybe get together and um, do a Snickers study. Would would you be interested in that? Maybe. I mean... Why can't you like them? Milk, chocolate, peanuts, caramel, and nougat. But you like Snickers. Well, come on, let, let's do a little, little study here, a, a little study on Snickers. You know, they have been around for many, many years, and they were a favorite of my father's, and I think he really liked the peanuts. Georgia growing peanuts. To me personally, I like the milk chocolate. And I did some research on the milk chocolate. In the Greek, the milk means that it comes from a cow. Okay? And, and they mix it with this chocolate, and, and it really has a smooth that they cover everything here. And I think if you'll get in and look at this, I mean... Per serving, only 250 calories in this. And the energy that you get out of this, notice if you'd look down there, vitamin A is in this, vitamin C, calcium, iron, fiber, all of those things are very, very important. You know, I'm so excited to find someone that loves Snickers. You know, there's a song I love to sing. Oh, how I love Snickers. Oh, how I love Snickers. Oh, how I love Snickers. It is the best candy bar. 
But you know, I, I never would have known looking at you that you love Snickers. I mean, it's it's nice to find other Snicker lovers. You know what I'm saying? That 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 is exciting. Well, we'll have to get together again. All right. Good seeing you too. Now, the thing is, he's sitting here. Did you give your Snickers away? He's sitting here with the Snickers that he's never opened, and he didn't look very excited about it, and I kind of had to talk him into it. But if he opened that up and he started eating that and he started doing like a normal person would do and he's saying, mmm, man, this is really, really good. Isabella, do you like Snickers? Do you really? It's okay. You don't have to look at mom, okay? (laughs) I'll tell you what. I took a bite off. Snickers is the best candy bar there is. I love them. And I think I like you, and I want to make sure you know the joy of having a Snickers. And this is a fresh end. Would you like to take a bite off that? How is it? She likes it. Yeah. All right. In fact, I'll give this to you. You may want to cut that off because I ate that in. And you may want to wait to eat it till after church. Okay? But it is a one. Are you spreading yours around? Yeah? Okay. A silly little illustration that that really doesn't convey properly what we're trying to do. But let me ask this question. Why would anyone want what you have as a Christian? What do they see in us? Do they see that we do certain things? But is there anything that would draw them? Is there anything that they'd say, wow, I would like to have that? I mean, honestly, you all have something that um, when I see someone eating a Snickers, I think, man, I, I need to go get me a Snickers. You know what I'm saying? But that's how it should be with our Christian life. And... We can talk about all the things that are going on in the world, and many of those things we can't affect, but we can affect this, that I can joyously love God. And I believe in Christianity we have failed miserably 
in number one, loving God. The first command that he gives in Matthew chapter 22, when they ask, what is the greatest command? He said, the first and greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And we've seen already in, in recent studies, the first three commands of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with God, of loving Him, of having no other gods before us, and so on. People know what we love. We talk about it. We get excited about it. Um, we invest in it. We sacrifice for it. Um, and and they, te- they know what we love, and we want to get others interested in it. We've had asparagus growing, and I like asparagus. Um, my wife thinks that Andrew always liked asparagus, but he didn't always like asparagus. And Martine's been living with us, and she thinks asparagus is great and wonderful and homegrown. And here, Martine, try this. Well, he tried it, and he's not real excited about it, right? He likes it better than he likes peanut butter on celery, though, I'll tell you that, okay? But at any rate, what we love, people know. I mean, people wear shirts with the brand of their favorite brand or their team or whatever. And what we love is clearly evident. What gives evidence that you love God? What is there in your life that gives evidence that you love God? And and really, you may begin by saying, well... I'm here today, Pastor. That that may be an evidence that you love God, but there can be people that attend church that don't really love God. Just by doing that doesn't mean that we really love God. Someone has written evidences that we've lost our love for God. And let me just share a few of them. You can go Hours or days without having more than a passing thought of Him. You don't have a strong desire to spend time with God. You don't have a strong hunger for the Word. Bible reading is a chore. Something you mark off your to-do list. Spending time in prayer is a burden, a duty, rather than a delight. You crave human companionship more than a relationship with Christ. You spend more time and effort on your physical appearance than on cultivating inner spiritual beauty to please the Lord. You are more concerned about what others think and pleasing them than about what God knows and pleasing Christ. You can talk with others about kids, marriage, weather, the news, but struggle to talk about the Lord in spiritual matters. You have a hard time coming up with something fresh to share in a testimony service at church or when someone else asks, what's God been doing in your life? You are more interested in recreation, entertainment, and having fun than in cultivating intimacy with Christ 
through worship, prayer, the word, and fellowship. You justify small areas of disobedience. Little things that used to disturb your conscience no longer do. You are not grieved by sin. You tend to hold tightly to money or things rather than being quick to meet the needs of others. You have broken relationships with other believers that you are unwilling or have not attempted to reconcile. And the list could go on and on. But these are things that show that we've lost our love for God. It will be manifested in this area. The first and greatest command is to love God. But we put down here to joyously love God. The greatest advertisement is word of mouth. When when someone says to you, hey, I took my car to this mechanic and they were the best, they were the most honest and and really gave a fair price, I I was so happy. You mark that down, you think, man, if I need a mechanic, that's the one I'm going to. The greatest advertisement is word of mouth. Uh, a happy, satisfied customer. Throughout the Bible, God was continually urging his followers to manifest through their spirit a joyful spirit. We asked earlier, why would, why would anyone want what you or I have as a Christian? Do they see in us a spirit of joy? Do they see, wow, this is, this is the best thing. I love this. And here, you, you try it. You enjoy it. Do they see how we respond to things in life? In Deuteronomy chapter 28, the Lord had said to Israel, if you obey me, I will bless you. I will take care of your enemies. I will do all these things. And then in Deuteronomy 28, he said, But if you do not obey me, he said, I will bring my judgment upon you. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 47, he said, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, Therefore, you shall serve your enemies who the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Notice what he said. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness. It is one thing to go through the motions. It is one thing to, okay, I guess I better read my Bible. Okay, I'll come to church. It is another thing to serve Him with joy and gladness. It's another thing to have a desire for Him. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10 says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. There's, there's two applications here. God gives us joy because He is joyful. Many people have the idea that Christianity means don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's the, the, the no fun league, okay? 
But it, it will be worth it when you get to heaven. No, he told his disciples, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Of course, meaning eternal life. But it also means when you follow God's plan and God's purpose, it makes this life to be by his power an abundant life so that even in the midst of difficulty, we can have joy. In Matthew chapter 5, he said, Rejoice and be exceeding glad when when they persecute you, when they say manner of evil against you. He said, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. He said, They will revile you. They will persecute you. They'll say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. But he said, In the midst of that, rejoice. It's love God joyously will be a living, attractive testimony of who Christ is. He said the church is to be the pillar and ground of truth. The church is made up of people. It's you and I. A pillar is something that holds up a building, and it is also something that adorns the building. You go see these massive buildings that were built years ago, and they have these ornate pillars. They're just not decoration. They're attractive, and they're holding up the building. He says, as believers, we are to represent the truth, hold up the truth, and do it in a manner that truly is attractive. Nobody, nobody wants to come to Christ when they see us with our sad faces, griping about everything, pointing out everything that's wrong with everybody and everything in the world, and never coming up with a solution. Why do we want that? But to see in us a joy that even in the midst of what may be chaos, we know God is in control and God is is um, at work in my life and I can rejoice in the Lord always. See, the joy of the Lord should characterize our service and our worship. But what is it that hinders our joy? Let me just quickly list three things. Number one, we don't really realize who God truly is. If, if we realized who God truly was and we knew his character and we knew his nature, we would have perpetual joy. We would know that he is my everlasting father and he is the one that intercedes on my behalf and he is the creator. And as you look out and and see the colorful birds and the flowers and the beautiful sunrises and sunsets and you think, that's my father's doing that. And you understand and know his character and the more you know him, the more you'll have joy in understanding who he is. Because we don't know who God is, we don't have much joy. Secondly, we've forgotten what God has done. Do you understand, if you are here today and you have trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sin, don't ever, ever, ever take it for granted 
what God has done for you. I mean, we were condemned, we were guilty, we we all belong separated from God in the lake of fire, but He has pardoned us, He has forgiven us, He has brought us to a relationship. If nothing else God ever did, that should provide us with joy the rest of our lives. But we forget what God's done. And and we act like it's um it's old hat. Well, why shouldn't he have saved me? Because you were shaking your fist in his face. Because you were living in total rebellion against him. Taking all his gifts and then, then blatantly rebelling against him. We've forgotten what God has done just in saving us. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. I wasn't whole. I was broken. I was shattered. I was vile. I was poisoned. I was polluted. I was condemned. And God, you rescued me. You did something that no one else could do. That ought to, that ought to fill our hearts with joy perpetually. What hinders our joy? We don't realize who God truly is. We've forgotten what God has done. And thirdly, my personal sin hinders my joy. When when I don't deal with the sin in my life, because iniquity abounds, Matthew 24 tells us, the love of many will grow cold. And so... We have to um, try to put on, okay, everybody smile as we sing, oh, how I love Jesus. I mean, is there anything joyous in your life that the people at work would say, man, he's got something I wish I had. I'm not saying you have to walk around slapping people on the back, hey, you know, like that. But... When, when maybe difficult things happen, do they see that we respond differently? Do they see joy in us to joyfully love God? There should be no one on the face of the earth that has more joy than believers. Absolutely not. And yet many, many times we give the, the wrong impression. Duty can be drudgery. But duty with love for God is a delight. It's not like it's love or duty, one of the two. There are times that because I love God, it is my duty to do this. I may not feel like doing it, because, but because I am committed to God, I am going to do this. And as you do that, God brings His grace and produces joy. And I think one area that every one of us needs to work on is to joyously love God. What is there that anyone would want in our life as they look at it? So, one area that God's called us to is to joyously love God. A second area that He's called us to is that we are to compassionately warn others. We don't have the time, but you can read in Ezekiel chapter 3 that 
God raised up Ezekiel to be a watchman to warn them of the workings of God. And he said in this passage that if you raise up and you speak the truth and they turn from their wicked way, you will have been instrumental in saving their life from destruction. But if you warn the wicked and they do not turn from their wicked way, that's their responsibility. But he said, but if you do not warn the wicked, their blood will be on our hands. In the, in the epistle of Jude, he closes the epistle by saying, some of them you need to show and make a difference in their life by having compassion. He said literally, and on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. Our responsibility is to compassionately warn people, joyfully love God so that that's seen in our life, and then we bear a responsibility that there is a Creator God whom every individual will answer to. We have been recipients of life. We have received His gifts. He has given His Son for all mankind And we will someday answer to God for what we have done with all these gifts of His. Part of the warning is understanding there is a literal, eternal hell inhabited by all those who have rejected the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. It is not our job to connive and manipulate and and uh, get people to make a decision. Our job is to compassionately, because we care, compassionately warn them. So we ask, who is it that you care about? Who is it that you've warned? Every, every one of us have have certain acquaintances in our life. Have you ever, have you ever given them a warning? Have you ever shared with them? Well, I'm, I'm trying to joyfully love Christ before them. That, that is the initial important foundational step. But you know, there comes times where we say, you know what, John, you you are a, a, a friend that I value, and I would not be a very good friend to you at all if I didn't share with you what has made a terrific difference in my life. And then to share with them Jesus Christ. John, because you have had an influence on my life, I want I want to be a blessing in your life, and I want to give you this booklet to read, or I want to share what Christ is. 
See, it's investing in the lives and giving a warning. Just coming to church doesn't give a warning. They may know that you go to church. They may know that the neighbor on the other side goes to some place to gather. But what is that? Do they see us joyfully loving God? Joyfully enjoying our family, playing with our family? Or Get over here! Why did you leave that bike out there for? Why should I go to church? I've got enough to do in my week. Why spend two hours, three hours, four hours there? And then, if they see a difference in our life, do we ever take the time to point blank warn them? Most everybody here believes time is probably pretty short. Do we really believe that? Do we believe it enough to not worry what they think about us, to go to someone and say, you know what, I value you. And I wouldn't be right with you, and I wouldn't be right with God if I didn't come and just share with you this truth. Here's the two things that we can do something about. We can joyfully love God, and we can compassionately warn others. And you know what? Every one of us are going to stand before God and give account for why we've done that. Honestly, there, there, are, there are many times that, um, that we make it an embarrassment for other people to identify as a Christian by the lack of joy that we manifest. As I said, there should be no one more joyful than we are. And in realizing that comes not just by, I'm going to be happy today, I'm going to be joyful. No, it comes through a relationship. No matter what God brings into my life, He promises His grace. I can rejoice in that. It doesn't mean that that everything will go nice. It means that whatever He brings, He will give me the wisdom. He will give me the strength. He will give me the grace He will give me the provision that I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I rejoice in that. I shall not want. And to manifest that in our lives. And the reason we lack joy is we're focusing on the wrong things. We're not focusing on God. We're focusing on the earthly things. Who is it that God's put into your life that he wants you to compassionately warn. Because you love them. He's called you to to give them the good news of Jesus Christ. Someday we will answer to that. Someday every one of us will stand before God. We can joyfully love God. And we can, with the heart of Christ, compassionately warn others. 
It's why the psalmist said in dealing with his own sin, God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. There's some today that may need to be praying that prayer. God, I know I am a child of yours, but I've lost the joy. God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Show me what it is I need to do to have the joy of you. There's some that that need to say, you know what? I've been too content in where I am and I'm just I just wish the Lord would come and take me home. God's saying, I just wish you'd be an instrument in others so that they could come home to me too. And you may be here today and say, you know what? I have never trusted Christ. I I can't I can't rejoice in what he's done because I've never personally called upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sin. And today could be the most joyous day of your life if you say yes to him. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would restore unto us the joy of you. That it would be clearly evident by our life, by our testimony, by the joy in our life that we love you. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would penetrate our hearts and lives here and would show us the things that we're loving in place of you and that we would have more love to you. I pray that it be evident in how we live our lives that we would have an abundance of joy And Lord, I pray that we would have the power of you and the courage of you to compassionately warn those you have put in our lives and that your spirit could work in their hearts to bring them to salvation. Lord, I pray for any individual here today that is not sure that they have everlasting life. I pray today before they leave that they would settle that. And then, Lord, I pray that every one of us as believers would, would know the fullness of joy in you and that we would be the, the voices you want us to be in this world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's